Isn't God still good even in this hour? He is good. Who has seen God do miracles in your life this year? As crazy as this year has been, who has seen God do miracles? Is anybody? I mean, that's an amazing thing that we shouldn't take for granted, that we should really see. You know, that's the word. Who knows your Bible in here? That your word is filled, right? The word is filled with encounters where, where there is some serious stuff, to put it simply, going on in the earth, and yet God had mercy and favor on his people. Amen. And look at Egypt. Look what God was doing with Egypt. Now, initially, the Jews felt the strain. Everybody say they felt the strain. Okay, one more time. They felt the strain. So the Jews felt the strain because Pharaoh got angry that God was doing something in that nation. And there was a strain that, you know, Christian, non-Christian believer, uh, strong believer, weak believer, somewhere in between believers, etc. There was a strain that we all have felt. But the Bible says that as the plagues started coming and increasing, we start to see a pattern. Initially, they put pressure. The enemy tried to put pressure on God's people. But now, things start to turn, and God's people are unaffected. Everybody know the story. Meanwhile, while the plagues and, and the things are happening to the world, God's people are protected. Ultimately, they walk out of their free. Everybody say, they walked out free men and women. And God blessed them on the way out. We shouldn't forget that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same God. We need to be so aware of who God is in this hour. It is so important that we don't uh, look at the miracles that he's been doing in this time. And uh, you could almost feel guilty. Anybody ever feel guilty when God is doing kind of a miracle in your life while someone else is going through a hard time? And we're not supposed to. What we're supposed to do with that is actually be filled with faith, be filled with joy, be filled with hope, to stand alongside the one who's not going through such a great time because it's only a matter of time before that part of the body will need to support your part of the body. Amen. Right? It's just a matter of time where the roles are reversed and uh, we should not, you know, assume. And I think the Lord does it on purpose so that we don't assume that you know, this one got into error or sin or something automatically just because they're going through a hard time. But to remember that, hey, we went through tough stuff too. And, and because of that, um, I saw God come through and I saw him take care of me. And now I need to uh, use the blessings, use the freedom that God has given me, the hope that I have, the life that I have in him to pray for those that aren't in it right now. And that's really, and even just what we did in prayer, you know, the world really is in blindness. Everybody say they're in blindness. There is ultimately a great white throne of judgment. And I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to get too far into tangents today. Not that that's unimportant. It's just not today's sermon. But there is a great white throne of judgment and we will all stand before it. One day every single person will. There is this gap of time though in the earth uh, where God's grace 
even the Satanist has God's grace. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that wild? That those that curse God have grace. You know what the grace is? The grace is time. I mean, the grace might not be, you know, uh, the abundant blessings from God. Although sometimes you can't tell because Satan's a blesser too, but that's, I don't want to get into all that, right? But the person has time and they have choices. Once God's grace runs up, and people think that it can't, but eventually we all do die. And Jesus warns us. Actually, he talks more about hell than he talks about heaven. So he's warning us over and over and over again about that reality that we will all face when God's grace ends. It's not his ultimate grace, but there is a time grace. There's an earth grace. Is everybody getting this? In that time, we who have been set free have a responsibility. We have been given grace as a tool. Everybody say grace is a gift, but it's also a tool. Grace is a gift to the blind because they still have time. But we who have understood grace, we embrace grace, we don't treat grace with disrespect, right? Who sings that song we just sung? You know, I don't deserve it. Who's, who has really just come to a revelation? I think you really have to, but who has come to the revelation of, of how little we deserve and how we really deserve such, we deserve the punishment and judgment? You know, when you're first kind of like coming to Christ or just young in your faith, you kind of think, well, I don't des- I'm thankful, but I don't think I deserve death. I never murdered anyone. I mean, they deserve death, but, but the punishment is hell. The punishment is separate- eternal separation from God. God, I don't think I deserve that. I'm thankful for your blood and your grace, but I don't deserve that. I know some people do, but not me. Now, in our immaturity, in our young Christianity, you know, maybe that's an exaggeration, but I think we've all thought like that at times to time, at, from time to time, that we are thankful and grateful for that grace in his blood, but we don't necessarily think that we deserved the punishment that was without it. And what happens is the more you walk with Christ, the closer you get to him, you realize what a wretch our flesh is, right? Like Paul said, oh, what a wretch I am. And then you end up actually embracing his grace to such an extent you get, you get so low, you're so humble, you realize you don't deserve it that it empowers you actually to actually have out from, from within you, out to outside of you, something that you could never manufacture, true love, true compassion, a true care for the world around you. And that's why really what Jesus talks about, it's hard for our human mind to understand but eventually, he says, the greatest love is to lay down your life for another, right? Eventually, what happens is you don't judge anyone any longer. You just judge yourself. And what you see out there, you see the atrocities, and you're like, how can they do it? And how, there's, it's such evil. But then you come back to the reality 
that there's a blindness, that there's an enemy that has put blinders on them. That's all it is. Now, the person may be willingly accepting it, but they really don't understand. You think anybody would really go to hell if they truly understood what it was? Nobody. I don't care how much you think you want. You know, Tony and I were just joking about pizza today. We were just joking about it this morning. About I said to her, I was like, that's it. You know, the next time that we have pizza, I'm going to bow out. Like I've said it, I've threatened to do that before many, many times. But I'm like, you know, then it's there and I want it. I was like, but how stupid. I never feel good after. It's just for my particular body. I'm not saying that I don't have some junk stuff from time to time. But pizza, I don't know if it's the acidity. I don't know if it's the cheese. I don't know if it's all together, the gluten, whatever. All I know is I don't feel good, but yet I do it every time for a moment of taste buds. Like for a moment, but then it's going to be a couple of days of not feeling great till it's out of my system, and then I can go back to living normal again. How weird. If anybody really had an idea of what hell is, nobody would even joke about it. You know, when I was a kid, one of my friends would be like, I don't want to go to heaven. Hell's where the party is. But that's what he was taught. That's what he knew. That's, you know, you know the, the TV shows, cartoons, etc. They made the joke of all we're going to do in heaven is sit on clouds and play harps. So why would a kid want to do that? You know, kids want to be free. They want to run. They want to do, especially young boys. I don't want to sit around and play a harp on a cloud. And so devil, the devil did a, a good job while we were young to indoctrinate us that hell is fun, hell is cool. Being bad is cool, right? Girls, you know, bad girls attracted to bad boys, right? Everybody, there's they, even movies kind of make the bad guy, you know, a little more attractive, a little cooler than the good guy. They make you feel bad for the bad guy, don't they? The whole system makes hell and makes evil cool and fun, and yet being good and being righteous and, you know, you know, of course, then the preacher's got his top button, you know, buttoned up, you know, got his shirt tucked in. Not that you can't do those. I'm not, not fashion. It's just that, you know, the picture is that that guy, you know, he's boring and he's, you know, he, he is not experiencing life. And, and, and he's a weirdo, you know, but, but we're cool out here in the world. And I'm just, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of broken a little bit because I just see the blindness and I see the Lord's grace. It's like he's holding off judgment for so long because you kind of wonder how. I was just talking about abortion on the way again today, that it's a special type of evil to be able to commit it. I'm not saying the Lord's, if you have been freed from it, let the Lord free you from it. If you've done it, then just repent from it. But the doctor that has to commit that crime, that's a special type of evil to be the ones to put your hands on that baby and do that job that I just don't understand. And then I'm reminded of God's grace. And my mind short circuits. Who's, whose mind starts short circuiting when we think about God's grace? I mean, his word is filled with short circuit moments, right? That doesn't make sense to me, God. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. And yet, what we need to understand today, and this was not the intention, although it was a facet of today's sermon, but this is what the Lord's got to say. We need to understand that it's not the person, that there is a satanic plan 
since the moment you were born, like I just described, to try to delude you and confuse you and make you think, literally think differently than you were intentionally designed by God to think. Isn't it incredible, though? Isn't it incredible, though? It's so hard for us that such a small population will actually be freed from the blinders. And what this should do is cause us, not just because the election's on Tuesday, but cause us to be pleading with God, pleading and praying. The other side of it is there's a pleading with God and then there is a praying and authority over the blindness and over the darkness that has come over this nation. Because I've said this now before, and I'm going to say it again. This is a bold statement. I know you're going to be shocked, but on November 4th, we're still going to be the United States of America, no matter who takes office. Now, I don't know what that will become in time, but I just want to tell you something. It doesn't matter who gets in. We're going to need just as much prayer on November 4th. I've said the same statement about January 1st, 2021. Nothing magical is going to happen on December 31st, 2020. January 1st, 2021, everybody's like, I can't wait for the year to be over. We are still going to need more prayer than we've ever prayed before. I have to say this, and I'll admit this in humility. Um, I'm not... Uh, talking about any political party or any side, but there was, I feel like it wasn't just and right what they did to Kavanaugh. Remember the whole Kavanaugh stuff? It was just, it just wasn't right. I don't care who he was or what his beliefs, his beliefs, you know, maybe they do line up with mine, but that doesn't really matter. I don't think that we should do what they did to him anytime. I think it was just demonic. But, you know, I prayed, but I didn't really pray. I definitely prayed. We all prayed. But it wasn't like we didn't, maybe we didn't realize the 911 of it. So did we really pray? Like, did we see that, hey, you know, this is the devil trying to destroy a person's life? And did the church pray then? But it wasn't an election year. So did, was our prayer as important? And I have to admit, that throughout the last four years, there were many moments that required more prayer of me than I prayed. I'm not saying I didn't pray, but did I pray as hard as we're praying now? And what I'm cautioning us is that we need to understand something. There is a darkness that is coming over the earth. And we know in the book of Revelation that eventually it will literally make war against God. All right, ultimately, that's where it's going. In the meantime, we have been given a commission. We have been given as ambassadors of light from God on this earth to represent him, to be salt and to be light in this time. And that does not mean when it's 2020, because now we need to pray. Now the church is suddenly praying. <laughs> I'm not saying you didn't. I'm not judging anyone, anybody listening to the podcast. I'm not judging you. No one's taking this in judgment, right? I'm judging myself. Did I pray as hard in 2019 as 2020? No. I'll just tell you no. I didn't. Did I have a relationship with God? Did I see God's hand in my life? Sure. 
But did I pray like he was really telling me then, just didn't get it? Who kind of looks back and goes, oh, I get what you were trying to get me to get. <laughs> now I see it. And my caution is that as we, as we move into this coming week, you know, when I see you next week, we'll have a, either the same president or a new president, and we're going to be heading towards 2021. My caution is for us is that we must keep going. That's my caution. That you have X amount of breaths in your lungs. You have so many that you're going to breathe, and that's it. I don't know how many they are, and I'm not going to try to tell you. Don't ask me how long do we have. I don't know. But I know that I want to use every one that I have to the fullest because the Lord is either going to return and surprise me like his word says. I mean, that's the promise. The word says he's going to surprise me. So either that's going to happen or my life's going to run out. Is anybody confused by those two scenarios? One of those two things is going to happen, and I want my last breath to be the one that was praying for my brothers and sisters, praying for this world around me, seeking God, praising God, etc. Amen. I just want to read something because I feel like if I don't read it, I'm not going to express it the right way. So can I just read something quickly? Kind of have like a little bit of a mashup. Uh, it's a collection of the year's thoughts, and I don't know why it's culminating on this Sunday, but I just want to bring some things together, and it's kind of like a buffet, little piece of everything together, and it's this, that God's favor is on his people. And this is what he spoke to us. He spoke to me about this in August of 2019, that his scepter was extended towards us, like the king extended towards Esther. And I got it. I understood the concept but I have to admit that I probably took it more personal, that his favor was towards me, that my scepter's towards you. I, I have things for you. I want to do something in your life. And I knew the whole story, and I even preached the whole story, but in total honesty, did I really understand the fullness of the story of Esther, that hello, he pointed it towards her because she went in there for 911 for her whole nation. I mean, her people were literally at stake. That was the reason that the scepter was extended towards her. And so I don't know what would have happened, but the Lord told me that last August, that's a year and two months ago, if I started praying that way, you know, I'm just one man, we're just one church, but Elijah was one man already. We talked about that last week. Could that have changed some things? I don't know, but what I do know is here is where we're at. His scepter is still extended towards us. There is favor. God's throne room is open to us. In fact, the Bible tells us New Testament, not just Esther, so it's not, well, that was her story, that we can come boldly before him. Do you know that we can come boldly before the Lord? It also says that we can ask anything in John chapter 15. And in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, to add to the fullness of the truth that we can ask anything, it says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to the will of God, this is the New King James Version, and it says, pleases him, the NLT, but it says, anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, that should encourage us and strengthen our hope and our faith. It should cause us to seek him and find his will.
And I believe that the Lord was really already telling us His will last year and on how to pray. Uh, and, but ultimately, we are here right now. This is the moment where we're at. And I believe that I'm so proud of this church. Can I just say that I'm so proud of this place because you really have grabbed a hold of this time that we're in and we've been a praying church. We've been a praying church and I'm so proud of that. It's not a pride proud. I'm just, I don't know what kind of proud that is, but I'm proud of it. I'm proud of you guys. But we need to keep going. Everybody say we need to keep going. So it says though, and this is just to build our faith, that if we have his will, and that's what we've been seeking, we've been seeking his heart, we've been seeking his will, and I really believe that we have it now, and we've had a commission of how to pray. Uh, he hears us, and this should encourage us and strengthen us, and um, what it should cause us to do is to see that that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus sought the will of his Father, and it wasn't just Jesus did it, and then, okay, here's my salvation, now you just go live. But it was also a model, wasn't it? Jesus was the Christ. He was the Son. It's only his blood. It's not your blood. It's not your good works. It's only him. And yet he was also a model for us to follow because he said he picked, he, we know he carried his cross, but he encourages us to pick up our cross. Amen. Pick up your cross and follow me. So we know that Jesus was, was he is Christ alone, but he is also a model for us, which is then we go and seek the will of the Lord. And we walk it out like he did. Once I have his will, then I need to pray. I want you to say this out loud. Once I have the Lord's will, I need to pray until I see it come to pass. This should make us serious, and it's a sobering for what we've been given. The access God comes with, comes with authority from him. And I was thinking about this. We are like little children, and I've done this with my kids. I tell one son, uh, go tell so-and-so to stop right now, because I'm in the other room. I'm on a phone call. I can't go to their room and tell them to be quiet for the phone call, so I send my messenger. And then I hear them from the other room. Dad says to stop. Now, from one brother to the other, sorry, guys. From one brother to the other, they're looking at their brother like, who are you? What they don't realize, though, is that there's an authority in that message, even though the messenger doesn't seem to carry any authority. And you need to realize something, and the devil's done a good job at this, of convincing people that our prayers don't matter. That's both the world doesn't think our prayers matter, that's for sure. But, you know, even the church doesn't realize, because if we realized how powerful our prayers were, we'd pray much more and much harder. The devil's done a good job of convincing us that prayer, you know, it's the hardest thing to do, right? It's the hardest thing to do. It is hard. It's hard to do. Sometimes because we get tired, we get worn out. And that's just the enemy trying to really steal the greatest gift that we have against, uh, really, to, to access God, but also against him, against our enemy. Prayer changes everything. I know it's an old saying, but uh, it's just as relevant today as it always was. Prayer changes everything. And what we need to realize is, is that we are innocent little children, but the message that we have inside of us, and don't be afraid. I hear my kids, the next thing they say is, no, 
Who's ever heard that? Whether you were the kid living that story or whether you're the parent who heard it from the other room, right? First thing the kid says is no. And then they remind the other kid, but dad says so. Now what the kid doesn't realize who thinks he's getting away with it temporarily is that dad is listening. And dad's authority that was sent with that son to the other son is valid. Even though there's, it seems like for a period of time that this child got away with their rebellion. That authority just hasn't caught up with time yet because guess what happens when dad hangs up the phone? Anybody getting this? It might seem like, even though we've had many miracles, that, that things haven't changed in the time or in the way that we've expected or that we've prayed. And you need to understand something. And I, and I feel like God gave me this picture that God's word and God's plan is like a bulldozer. Bulldozers are not fast, but they're incredibly powerful. If you were to go into a forest and look at the progress of a bulldozer minute by minute, even hour by hour, you wouldn't think that they were that impressive. But if you looked at that forest after the bulldozer got done with its job, you'd be amazed at just how powerful that bulldozer was. But you'd be wrong to judge it in a gap of time like the rest of the world operates. The rest of the world is really fast. And even that's, you know, you know the enemy, and I don't, I don't understand it all, but I do know this. The Bible says to be aware of him and beware of his devices. I'm much more aware of Christ. I'm much more aware of my brokenness before him and his forgiveness and my eternity set in him. I'm much, much more aware of that. Let me say that first. But we also must be aware of the enemy. So at times, we must talk about it, and it must come into sermons. But we must understand this, that the enemy is a deceiver, like I've been saying throughout this sermon. He's a blinder, but what he does is he will little by little throughout your life, things about God and God's nature will chip it away, as I kind of talked about a couple weeks ago, and get you to not realize ultimately that you have actually believed, you've walked away from God's way of doing things and thinking, and you are actually, even a believer, thinking mentalities like Satan. And I know that's crazy. And one of them is instant gratification, microwave, drive-throughs, TVs, internet, smartphones, etc. We have been conditioned, especially this next generation. I mean, I was conditioned, I was 50-50 because I didn't care about electronics. I just wanted to be outside and playing. But it was around, and my brother loved the electronics. So I'm like 50-50. But this next generation, it's instant gratification. And what it has done is it's caused this generation, the praying generation, to pray like we're in a drive-thru. To pray like we would click on the TV or the internet. And if we don't get a response, or really it doesn't matter what the response is, I did it. I clicked the button, now you know the rest is supposed to happen on its own. I don't do anything else. I turn the TV on and I lay back, the TV does the job for me. I know it seems like, well, that's crazy. You're stretching it. Don't think that the devil hasn't done these things. You know, I read about a preacher. I can't remember which one it was, but it may have been Finney 
one of the 1800s preachers. And you know what he cautioned? He said, you should be careful how many plays you go to and how many books you read. How funny is that today? You certainly couldn't get a young person to go to a play or read a book. Not unless it's read to them. I mean, I'm guilty. I listen to Audible as well. It's just easier for me while I'm working. I can listen to a book. I am guilty there. But how funny, because you know what he said? He said the problem is that the person will get too conditioned to this world and get too much into the world and not spend the time. There. Basically, your mind gets changed by those books and those plays. You don't even realize it, and you are pulled away from the things of God and the purpose of God, your life on this earth. How crazy is that? Imagine, which, I don't remember which revivalist it was, but imagine him coming here today and seeing us today. The point is that God uh, has a commission on us, and the enemy has caused us to live into this fast-paced thing when, in fact... What I want to read quickly is I want to go to the book of Daniel, and I want to read, and we've been looking at this concept. In fact, in the Bible, I don't see instant gratification. Do you? I see that the children of Israel cried out to God for 400 years. Now, that's beyond my understanding. Everybody say that's beyond our human understanding. Because here's my reasoning. My reasoning is, okay, God, you're faithful. Yes, your word is true. Um, but... I'm alive today, but my great-great-great-great-great-grandparents who prayed 400 years ago are not alive. So my human intellect says, okay, God's faithful, God answers prayers, but the person who was alive just even one generation ago didn't get to receive that. They're only receiving it through me. I'm, I'm receiving the promise through their prayers. And my point of that is that our minds cannot try to and I've been kind of talking about this concept because the Revolutionary War is another concept where they paid it forward. We cannot be a prayer people and be believers on this earth and look and judge our lives as if that's it. You will miss it. Your life, who knows what you're really doing here on this earth. I don't even know what your life is, but it may take generations ahead before the prayers you've prayed are even going to come to pass. It might be your children's children that you were faithful to raise your children and they raise up this one particular person that changes a nation. You know, every president, every king, every world leader, everybody who's revolutionized and invented somebody was somebody, somebody, somebody's son or daughter. And who knows what your call was. And my point to that is, is that we need to break off the mentalities that the enemy has put on us. We don't even realize it. And we must be much more steady about our lives. We must uh, embrace the uh, time that we've been given and be much more kingdom-minded than earthly-minded. And I know that's hard to do. I'm not going to get any deeper into that, but I wanted to say that. In the book of Daniel, chapter 10, I think we have a time just like that. This is a time in Daniel 10, and I'm just going to read this just for a few minutes to kind of close this all together. Daniel 10, Daniel is uh, in Babylon. Uh, he's, he has been taken from Israel. His nation's gone. Everything he knew, everything that 
Maybe he believed God as a boy for. It's not clear. I'm not sure how old he was when he came. I don't know what he knew. But we do know this, that he was a man of God. That he didn't let the surroundings that he lived in, lived in affect his belief in God. Right? We know that. We don't have time to go through all of Daniel's stories. But what an amazing man of God who faced the lions, right, and, and, uh, and faced the opposition and would not bow his knee to the enemy, only to God. But this man, Daniel, is a praying man. Everybody say, Daniel is a praying man. And God starts giving him words throughout the, books of, the book of Daniel, throughout the chapters, that God's going to do some things for this nation, but only after a certain amount of time. Everybody say only after a certain amount of time. Even though God is faithful and Daniel refused to deny God's faithfulness, even like I said, even if it means being eaten by a lion, if I have to be eaten by a lion, then so be it. I will not. I will not curse God. I'm not going to deny God. I will go to the very last breath as a godly man. And so this Daniel, in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future. And it says, uh, this is a little note that you may have in an older text, like the New King James doesn't say this line, but the wording in there actually it is clear to imply this, that it was a time of war and great hardship, which makes sense throughout the entire book. So I believe this line right here. That what he saw, it says uh, in an older text, just said it was going to be a long time, maybe a hard time. So he saw these things. So it says in verse 2, that when this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. Everybody say that Daniel had been in mourning. He was a man of God who sought his God. He was a man of God who got before the face of God, and when he would hear news, when he would realize what's going on uh, in his nation, when he would be suddenly uh, reminded that they're in Babylon, and that a lot of the things and the freedoms and the beauty of God's original design for Israel was gone, he did something about it. And we must right now realize that this nation was great, it can be great, it still has a future. It does not need to be, uh, it does not need to be overrun, it does not need to be turned over to Satan automatically. We cannot be, uh, the term is fatalist, where we just say, well, you know, the, we know the book of Revelation that everything's all going to turn evil eventually anyway, you know, they're all going to win anyway. We cannot be like that, but we must be like Daniel, who God had already told him, it's not going to happen in your time. It's not going to happen after this time. But Daniel realized that I'm on this earth at this moment. And so he took the initiative to be in fasting and prayer. That's what it says. He was in mourning for three whole weeks. He had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine, crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lo uh, lotions until those three weeks had passed. We had done a fast like this just this year in August where we did a Daniel-esque type of fast and many people across the world have as well. And 
I read this, and I don't know that Daniel chose to go on a three-week fast. The word isn't crystal clear here. Some translations say when the time ended, he's about to have a vision in verse 4. Uh, but I actually believe that he went on this fast. Um, it doesn't say that the Lord told him to anywhere here in the text, but that he had heard. That's what it says in verse 1. He had heard, seen visions. He had seen things to come. So he goes into a time of mourning, goes into a time of fasting to seek the Lord. Amen. Do we all? I think we're all on the same page with that. It says in verse 4 that on April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. And the man, verse 11, said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God, so listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up still trembling. Now in the verses past, when he sees the angel or sees this man in pure gold or, or in white with pure gold around his waist, he falls to his face like we all would in reverence and humility, just like all the men of God in the word do. And it says, verse 12, he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. On the very first day that he prayed, God heard him. I want you to just get this understanding. Are we, are we okay so far? I'm bringing this all together. The Lord had a lot of commercials in today's sermon, so all these pieces are, are coming together. Are we, are we following okay? He humbles himself, and he prays. God hears him the very first second that he begins to pray. Do you know the very first time that the very first person cried out in slavery in Egypt, God heard it? I want us to just get this this year, and I've been kind of um, bringing this like a broken record because I don't know that you're going to see the most amazing things in the next 12 months. And I want to encourage you and fill you with faith that you are not praying for things to change tonight or tomorrow. They can, and I pray still that God does it. But I want you to be filled with faith and filled with hope that the men of God in my word, it took time. They were willing to put in the time for the prayer and fasting, and the answers took time. Everybody say it took time. I believe that God's going to do some things quickly, but that's on his timetable. God's quick... And my quick, Jesus said, behold, I come quickly, <laughs> I come soon. Paul said he's coming soon. That was 2,000 years ago. So obviously our human mind and God's idea of soon and quick are different. Anybody in here thinks that 2,000 years is soon? I want you to be encouraged and I want you to be filled with faith that we must pray. And I believe that in this answer here, it was three weeks but I really believe that he didn't say, okay, I did my three weeks. Now, God, you got to come through. I believe that he prayed until this day. He kept praying and kept praying and kept fasting and kept seeking God with the time that he had been given. He was mourning before the Lord, and then an answer came. And he didn't stop until the answer came. And it says, he said, from the moment you began to pray, your request was heard. 
and I've come and answer to your prayer, verse 12. But verse 13, and this is a, a scripture that doesn't get preached often, but this is a reality of what's happening. And I've been alluding to this, but I really felt like I needed to talk about it, and I'm going to close with this. It says, verse 13, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. This is what we must understand without understanding it. Don't try to understand it in your human intellect, but understand in the spirit. There is a spirit. I think it's so crystal clear. If you are a believer, there is an absolute spirit that is trying to control this nation. Do you not see them clearly? There are multiple facets of that. But it's all the same thing in different places. It's the same issues, the same thing. Now, there are real issues, and that's what the devil does. He takes a little... I'm not saying the issues are all invalid. Remember, he takes real, and he mixes it, takes a bowl of ice cream, puts a little bit of poison in there, mixes it up, makes it look good, makes it look like, yeah, this is a real issue. But the heart of it and inside of it is poison. And there are some spirit princes that are trying to control this nation and bring this nation down. It is not our job to war with them, but I don't have time, but Ephesians 6 tells us that that's who our war is with. The, war, the Bible says in Ephesians 6, you do not war against flesh and blood, but with. We all get afraid of going up principalities, which, you know, I understand the teaching, and I'm not going to go outside today and point my finger at the principalities of the Hudson Valley or the United States of America, the evil principalities, but we must, be under, we must understand that that's what the war is with. It says you are not warring against flesh and blood. It is not the people. It's not your brothers and sisters. It's not the United States of America citizen. It's not those who have chosen to do evil and torn down the Ten Commandments and, uh, and opened up abortion clinics on every corner. That is not what you're warring against. There is a spirit behind it that is systematically trying to destroy what God established in this nation. And what we must do is not even though the war is with those principalities and powers in the unseen realm we must do what daniel did and that's interesting because that's exactly what it tells us to do in ephesians chapter 6 after we've put on all his armor it tells us this it says in ephesians 6 verse 18 once you've put everything on and you've done everything to stand it says to pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now, I said I'm going to explain our understanding, but not really understanding. I don't know how, and I don't know when, and I don't know the method, but I do know this by my word. When we take the initiative and we have prayed, we've been fasting, I need you to know that they have not been invalid so far. It doesn't matter what happens and what we see in the next weeks, in the next months, in the next year. You need to know that your prayers and your fasting before the Lord, they have not only been valid, but they may be for a generation ahead. It might be for years ahead. And this is the second part that you must keep going until you see the results that you've been asking God for. And what is actually happening in the spirit, and that's what you can see, is that there is a war 
in the heavens. That's what it says in Daniel. Daniel wasn't aware of it. He didn't fight against the spirit prince of Persia. That wasn't his job. He was called to fast and pray, which is exactly what Jesus told us to do. It's exactly what we see the first church did, right? The Holy Spirit comes to the original first apostles when they were doing what? A time of prayer and fasting, a time of separation. They did their job. God filled them with the Spirit of God. And when they came out, it says that 3,000 people were saved in the first day. If we really want to see this nation change, we want to see our communities changed, our families changed, it might seem like we're wasting time just tucked away in a room praying. We're tucked away, you know, it's just we're separated. We're not in the thing. We should be out there fighting. We should be political. We should be a big voice. It's so much more powerful that when the doors finally open and the Holy Spirit says, now's the moment to speak, and I could get it, I just don't have time. We could get more into that. Because actually, Ephesians 6, Paul, that's what he says. He starts saying, don't just pray for everyone, but pray for me. So I'll have continued to have boldness, and I'll have the right words. The prayer would bring the right words out. Amen. I don't know how to end this. I'm saying so many different things. We're just in a strange time, and I just feel like, you know, I have one hour with you guys at most, and I have a lot of things that I feel like the Lord wants to say. So hopefully it can all put together. But we know this, that God is good. He's got a plan and purpose no matter what. And, and our forefathers, the, the believers that laid the groundwork for us, that's how they lived. Some lived, some died, but they lived their lives for the Lord. And we have freedom because of that, and that's what we need to do for this next generation and generations ahead of us. That's the summation of it. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. I just thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the truth, Lord God, that sets us free. And I pray, Lord that you do a greater work in us than the words out of my mouth, but in our spirit, Lord, that these words become, like your word says, seeds in good soil that sprout to life within us. Lord, down deep in us, not on the surface, but deep inside of us to grow into the life that we need and produce the fruit that the world needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.